good morning, everyone. I don't think a lot of our congregation knows that our worship and praise team actually writes some of the music that we sing. So our own Lee Bryson, Mr. Barefoot over here, he wrote one of those songs that we just sang. So mercy me, cutlass, eat your heart out. <laughs> We're going to be in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter five, verses one to 14 this morning. Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 14. We're going to call this message The Christian Walk. Now, I haven't done this in a couple of months, so look out. Um, as I mentioned in our prep meeting, uh, I'm going to probably let go with both barrels on this one. So you've been warned. All right, so The Christian Walk, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. Um, let me give a little story. Illustration before we get right into the scriptures. How people choose to live their lives has a big impact on how they will be remembered. For example, let's compare these two monarchs. There they are. <laughs> I think a lot of us recognize the lady on the right. All right, that of course is Queen Elizabeth II. She just passed away about a week and a half ago. The man with the funny wig, he lived about 300 years earlier. He was King Louis XIV of France. Now, let's just, let me do a quick comparison of these two people. First of all, they both reigned for a bit over 70 years, okay? Long time. However, Elizabeth, really had very little real power, all right? Louis had loads of it. And then, of course, they both passed away, all right? Elizabeth is fondly remembered by lots and lots of people. It just amazed me, if you've been watching the news at all coming from the UK, that people waiting to just spend a few moments in front of her sealed coffin they have been waiting in some cases for up to 13, even 24 hours to do that. The line just stretches back literally for miles. When Louis finally died, he was despised. People literally spit on his coffin. Glad the old fart finally went. So why such a difference between these two people? It was how each of them lived or walked their lives. And that's an illustration for us as we take a look at this passage of scripture in Ephesians chapter five. A question we need to ask ourselves is this. Do we want to be remembered as someone who lived and walked with God or not? Think about Enoch. He's only mentioned just a few verses in Genesis chapter 5, around verse 24. But we're told there that Enoch walked with God for 300 years. And then literally it says, and then he was not, was not because God took him home. But for 300 years, he walked with God. So walk is the key word 
in a lot of ways in this section of the book of Ephesians. So if we take a quick glance back over what we've heard for the last couple of weeks, first of all, in chapter four, verses one to 16, we were actually in that back in the early summer, but we were told there in Ephesians four, verses one to 16, walk in unity. There is one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and because of all those oneness, we are called to walk in unity as the body of Christ, as we serve and as we minister using all of these different gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. And then after we learned about heroes of the faith, then we came back to Ephesians recently, and so what we have been learning, verses 17 to 32, is to walk in holiness. We're to put off the old man, our old ways, and to walk in the newness that we have in Christ. And then Paul is describing what that means. Now, we're starting Ephesians chapter five, and of course Paul did not think in terms of chapters or verses. He's just simply moving on and describing the next idea of this idea of walking. And in Ephesians chapter five, verses one to 16, first of all, verses one to six, we have walk in love. So we'll take a look at that. And then after that, we will take a look at verses seven through 14. That deals with walk in light, okay? Now, the key thought that we need to remember as we go through this is this. To please the Lord, a Christian must walk in Christ's love and light. If you don't remember anything else that I'm gonna share this morning, please remember that. Because that's the main idea right there. Let's go ahead and take a look then and read, read together with me. I'm gonna read this from the English Standard Version translation. But Ephesians chapter five, verses one to six, here we go. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is, an, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. All right. Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore in scripture, old joke, you need to ask, wherefore is that therefore, therefore? And no, I'm not gonna try to repeat that. Therefore is looking back at what Paul has written in the previous verses. Ephesians chapter four, verses 25 to 32, especially verse 32, where he says there, we are to forgive each other. And the idea is we continue to practice forgiveness to each other. It's not a one-time deal. It's an ongoing lifestyle. As Christ has forgiven you. That's what he wrote just previous, and now he says, therefore, be imitators of God. 
That sounds weird. How do we imitate the unseen, all-powerful God? By keeping our focus on Jesus. Okay? We're told this in John 1:18, no one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side, has revealed him. Literally, you can translate that, he has explained him. And then over in Hebrews chapter one, verses two and three, that reference is wrong that I put in the notes if you happen to see it. It's Hebrews chapter one, verse three. It says this, Jesus is the exact representation of his father. Not meaning he's the same as his father because they're two different persons. But everything that is true about the father in terms of his attributes, his character, his qualities, his characteristics is true about Jesus. So if we want to imitate God, which we are called to do, and by the way, that's the only place in all the New Testament we're told specifically to imitate God. Normally Paul says to his disciples, to his followers, his converts, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But now he's kind of removing himself out of the equation and he's saying, no, 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 imitate God. And by imitating God, I'm saying, I want you to be like Jesus. And then he says next, walk in love. The idea is we're to make this a habit. It's not a one-time thing. Greek scholars call it a present imperative. An imperative simply means a command. Present means it's ongoing. So again, we're to make this a habit. It's to be true of us in terms of a lifestyle. Jesus is our model. He is the good shepherd who sacrificed himself fully for us. His sacrificial death allows us to enter into a relationship with God and gave us an example of how we should be willing to love each other. Great, great verse about what Jesus did for us is in the book of Hebrews. Okay, it's kind of a mouthful, but Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, it says this, comparing what Jesus did versus the Old Testament sacrificial system. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, that's one of the ceremonies they had in the Old Testament, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God, meaning God the Father, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now notice in that one, two verse passage, you have all three members of the Trinity present. All right? John expresses it this way in his first letter, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We walk in love because he showed us how to walk in love by the sacrifice of himself. 
You know, it's interesting. The night before Jesus went to the cross, his disciples had been bickering again about who was the greatest. And we're told in John chapter 13 that the Lord got up, and you guys are familiar with this story, he took off his outer garment and he put on basically a towel and he went from disciple to disciple washing their dirty, stinking, smelly feet because they were too proud to do this for one another. And it totally embarrassed them. As a matter of fact, Peter at first, if you remember the story, refused to allow Jesus to wash his feet. And the Lord insisted that he had to do this. And then after he did that, he set those things aside and he put back on his garments and he said, I've given you an example. You're to do the same. Not necessarily washing feet, but the idea of being willing to sacrifice himself to humble himself on their behalf. You know, that made such an impact upon the Apostle Peter that 30-some years later, when he wrote 1 Peter, you get to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, he says this, clothe yourself with humility. Talking to spiritual leaders. Where he says, clothe yourself with humility, guys, he's using the same words to describe what Jesus did when he clothed himself with the garment of a slave to wash their feet. Is there somebody that the Lord is prompting you that you need to walk in love with? Because that's what this is about. Vance, you're meddling. Yeah. That's what we're called to do. So if we're called to walk in love, what's the opposite of walking in love? That's in this same passage, beginning at verse 3. The opposite of walking in love, first of all, is sexual immorality. We get our English word porn from that term. Any sexual behavior outside what the Lord prescribed in marriage, according to Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, anything outside of that falls under pornea, sexual immorality. The opposite of walking in love is also impurity. It's interesting when Paul lists the works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5, beginning about verse 19. One of the two terms he describes is sexual immorality, same term, impurity, same term. Impurity, it's used elsewhere with the Greeks to describe a foul-smelling wound. Remember back the picture of the guy with the funny wig, Louis XIV? Louis XIV died of gangrene. A slow, agonizing death. And as he was dying from this gangrene that had set in one of his legs, the entire bedroom, this beautiful bedroom that he had used for decades, stunk. That's impurity. It's a defiled personality. Jesus said that both immorality and impurity sprang from someone's heart. 
according to Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. He said, out of the heart comes these things. And then the third term, covetousness. Anything or anyone that usurps the Lord's primary place in our heart, we're being covetous if we do that. Jesus is not interested in playing second fiddle. That's why he says himself in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. One guy, Harold Honer, who wrote a book on Ephesians, great book, he says this, that which is coveted becomes the center of one's life. Next thing, he actually lists three terms. They only appear here in all of the New Testament, in the Greek New Testament. He says, let there be no filthiness. Another way to translate that is obscenity. Foolish talk, translate that literally, means this, don't talk like a moron. Because we get our term moron from the Greek word for foolish. Or crude joking. Another way to translate that, sarcastic ridicule. And then he says, which are out of place. Earlier, Paul said in verse 3, listing these kinds of things, they must not even be named among us. How many of us have said something and we wished we could hit the rewind button? Yeah. Because we want to be a good testimony for Christ, don't we? Guys, we can't do it if we practice the kinds of things Paul is saying we have to avoid. They're totally out of place with God's people. So, it's one thing to say what we shouldn't do, but Paul also says what we should do. He says, let there be thanksgiving. That should characterize what we say. What do we have to be thankful for? You know, there's that old hymn, Count Your Many Blessings. Great hymn. You know what some of the blessings we have? We've already learned about them some time ago in Ephesians. Think back to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, all the way over to verse 14, where Paul there says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the spiritual places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We can start there. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he writes this, Paul does. Therefore, as you have received Christ the Lord, meaning gotten saved, 
So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and then I underlined, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, to kind of give us a better idea of some stuff we need to focus on, if you go with me for just a moment, go over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, Paul writes this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. That's the sorts of things we want to focus upon. Now, Paul concludes this section with two warnings, and we don't want to miss it. If you notice, he says, picking up the reading again at verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's the first warning. So all of those spiritual blessings that Paul tells us about, way back in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, if we're living a lifestyle practicing the kinds of things he's saying don't do, we don't get any of them. We miss out on Christ's kingdom. Notice he says the kingdom of Christ and of God. When Jesus comes back, which he will, he sets up his kingdom. He establishes his rule according to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20, he will reign for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, we then pass into the new heavens and the new earth and according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 24, Christ will turn his kingdom over to his father. And we have the new heavens and the new earth that'll last forever and ever and ever. If we practice a lifestyle where we're doing these kind of things, we don't get any of that. Let's keep going. That's the first warning. The next warning. Let no one deceive you with empty words. There are people in Paul's time, there are people today that say, well, you know what, I've become a Christian, so therefore I can just kind of do whatever I want. I can do, I can live however I want to do and just kind of go and party and do this. Wrong, 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 wrong. There's a term for that, it's called antinomianism. It means anti-law. The point is, if we have truly come to know Christ, there will be a change, a difference in our life because we now have the Holy Spirit residing within us. We have been born again. We are no longer going to be able to sin successfully because God has changed us. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon 
Catch this, the sons of disobedience. Paul used that phrase, sons of disobedience, only one other time. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, and he used it to describe us before we came to Jesus. That we were, before Christ, sons of disobedience, trapped by Satan himself under his darkness, but God intervened. By grace you have been saved by faith. It is the gift of God that no one can boast. So, two warnings. We're called to walk in love, to practice that as an ongoing practice lifestyle in our life. The other thing we're called to do is to walk in light. Let's take a look at verses 7 through 14. Therefore, do not become partners with them, meaning with unbelievers. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that is visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Key, notice, verse 7, therefore. We're moving into the next thing that he's going to talk about. First thing he tells us, therefore, this new section of Paul's thought, he says, don't become partners with them. Them again being unbelievers, okay? Paul does not mean, by the way, and we need to get this straight, he's not saying don't have anything to do with non-Christians, okay? Don't live, he's not saying we have to live like in a little holy huddle, okay? We're just going to wall this place up, we're going to stay in here, and the world can go to wherever it's going to go. No, he's not saying that. Because Jesus himself called us to be salt and light, didn't he? In a world that's becoming increasingly dark. Rather, the Lord is saying, don't screw up our testimony by failing to show wisdom in how we live around Christians and non-Christians. Now, another ministry, excuse me just a second. Another ministry that we have that a lot of people don't know about is our cookies and cupcakes ministry. I offered to be a taster, they wouldn't accept me. <laughs> but they, we have people in our church that bake cookies and cupcakes, one of them being Pastor Mark, another one being Jessica, our children's director, with the idea that they're going to take these treats and give them to people, to women, young women who are involved as exotic dancers here in town as a testimony to them and hopefully have a chance to share the Lord with them. I never would have thought of a ministry like that. But the Lord did, and it's bearing fruit as they're sharing the Lord with these people and sharing God's love with these people. It's wonderful. Know what you don't do with that? 
You don't go into the place where they're dancing. That's not part of the deal, okay? That's why we're told in Proverbs 25, 26, like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Jesus said, I want you to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. You go over just a couple of, just over a little further into Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16, Paul kind of describes a little bit more what he's saying here. Look carefully then how you walk. There it is again. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So we're not to be partners, but we are to be salt and light to those around us. And did you catch? Paul doesn't say you were in the darkness. Now you're in the light. He doesn't say that. He says, he writes, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. It's a total change of identity. I like how he says it to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Paul writes there, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. A complete and total change. That's what happened when we came to Christ. Our goal, our pursuit now, is to live out our new identity. We used to read, Linda and I, to our kids, a story of, I think it was by Eric Carroll, called The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Some of us probably have read this also to our grandkids or to our kids. The Very Hungry Caterpillar, you know, the caterpillar shows up, and the caterpillar being as caterpillars do, they eat anything, okay, anything they can. He just chomps, 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 leaves, branches, maybe other caterpillars if he had a chance, who knows. And then, a metamorphosis happens. A natural miracle happens. And the very hungry caterpillar transforms to become, of course, a butterfly. Amen. We need to stop being caterpillars. We need to be whom God made us to be, and that is butterflies for Jesus. Walk as children of light. That only happens if we stick close to Jesus because we're told he himself said in John 8:12, I'm the light of the world. Now, three things are going to happen if we walk as children of light. The first thing that happens is we're going to bear fruit. Paul says we're going to bear three kinds of fruit as this happens. He says the fruit is going to be good, it's going to be right, it's going to be true, according to verse 9. First of all, the fruit is going to be good. Goodness is an attribute, a quality of God himself. 
Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. God's very goodness begins to shine out of our lives as we walk in a way that pleases God. It's also going to be right. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ himself, according to Romans 13, 14 and Galatians 3, 27. Righteousness, one of the meanings of it is right standing before God. We can't earn that. That is something that God himself gives to us when we come to him through Christ. It's going to be true. Nothing false or phony. And the reason is because now we have a relationship with the God of truth. So that's the first thing that happens if we walk as we're supposed to walk. The next thing that happens and try, verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We learn to discern how to please God. A lot of times people will ask, especially young Christians, well, what's God's will for my life? God's will for your life is to live a life that's pleasing to him. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Another good reference to remember on this is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable worship. And do not conform any longer to the passions or to the mindset of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you know what happens? We can then test and approve what God's will is. Because this thing gets reprogrammed. You know, we'd like to be able to rewind our words. That'd be wonderful, of course we can't. But what God does give us as we walk with him is he gives us a reboot. He changes our mindset, he changes our thinking, and then we are able then to discern his will. Not because it comes as some bolt out of the sky, it's because we spend time in his word and we spend time in his presence and we fellowship with fellow Christians who can also help us to grow in our walk with the Lord. And third, we will expose dark deeds to God's light. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. Big question here. Who is or who are the they that Paul is referring to? Some people think it's non-Christians. Non-Christians would certainly be doing things that would not please God, right? If you take a look at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, there's a whole list of things that there that people do that they're still doing because they're trying to suppress the knowledge of God. It's not going to work because Jesus himself says in Luke 8, 17, for nothing is concealed that will not be revealed and nothing hidden that will not be made known and come to light. However, this is scary. 
more likely that they are wayward, professing Christians. People who are not living up to their new identity in Christ. Folks that really are not walking in love, who are really not walking as children of light. What should we do? Paul tells us. Important scripture to remember here is Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. It says this, the Christian Standard Bible Translation. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, who's spiritual? Basically a mature believer. Restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves that you also won't be tempted. Now, a lot of times people stop there. They shouldn't. Go on to the next verse. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. That's interesting. What exactly is the law of Christ? Well, part of it is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Besides, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's not the loving thing to try to avoid and hide sin. Too often, Christians have done that, and you know what? God hates that. And folks will try to hide stuff. You know what? All the Lord does is he just rips off so everyone sees what's happened. He did that with King David, didn't he? David thought he had gotten away with his sin of adultery, of murder. And for a year, it seemed he did, until the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David and told him a story. And then David's sin was exposed. So if somebody is caught, is trapped in these kinds of sins, and that's the language that is used in Scripture at times, the loving thing is to seek them out and seek out to restore them to the Lord. Now, there is a process to this. It's in Matthew chapter 18, step by step, where the Lord describes how this is done. All right? And then Paul wraps things up, and he says this, verses 13 and 14. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. God's light and truth makes all things visible. And you know what? That's a good thing. We're told about People try to hide in the darkness. It's not going to work. Instead, everything is going to come to light in John chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. And then we have this little quote, which, by the way, it's not a word-for-word -word quote from the Old Testament. It actually combines a couple of different passages from Isaiah. But a lot of people think this is probably something that they sang as folks were getting baptized. So Paul puts it in here basically as a wake-up call to any Christian, any follower of Jesus who was not doing a very good job of walking with Jesus. 
Wake up, sleepy Christian. Arise and walk again with the Lord as you did when you got baptized. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, and 7. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober. And I'd like to share one last scripture before we go to our final questions. If you want to go with me, I'm heading over to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. This describes the change that we all need to live for the Lord. Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's what it means to walk in love, to walk in the light. So, some final questions as we wrap this up. Questions for all of us, actually. Are you living who you are in Christ? Obviously, no one is perfect on this, but still, are we really trying and living who we are in Christ? Are you walking in his love and light? Don't Kid yourself if you're not. That's the worst thing to do. Second question. What do you need to do to live more fully for Jesus? I know as I was working on this message, the Lord hammered me. That's why I'm hammering you guys, okay? <laughs> I'm just passing on the pain. <laughs> what do you need to do to live more fully for Jesus. A lot of times there's something the Lord, the Holy Spirit just puts the spotlight on. And finally, do you want to come to Jesus? Are you someone who is in the dark, lost, and you desperately need Jesus in your life? Now, we're going to have our prayer team come forward, folks on that come forward. If you want to come forward for prayer, whether it's from something in this message or something else, please do so. You come and deal with the Lord as the Lord leads.